Welcome to the Ether. Today is Friday, September 2nd, 2022. Today on the Ether, part one of a two part Cosmos space hosted by Tricky. Let's take a listen. Uh, Mayor, what up, Trendy? Hey, hey, man. So, so yeah, I can only probably leave about 45 minutes, and then I'm going to have to start work. But um, no I can listen in after that. There, we can uh, talk about the Quicksilver and. Stuff. Yeah, I thought it'd be, you know, I didn't realize it was coming up so quick, but Quicksilver is like uh, Monday, I think. Yeah, Monday's main net. Um, and then I think the uh, airdrops the day after, maybe? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we could post that video. Liam did a really good video. Um, I can tag it to the top. Yes, sir. Yeah, they uh, got the pool starting on Osmosis, and I guess Crescent as well, too, which will be cool. Um, and they're going to heavily incentivize uh, the pools, which I'm interested to see if they also have some of the uh, fees that they generate go to the uh, the pools. Because they're going to, you know, I don't know if you know, but like if you stake Quicksilver, you get each token that's onboarded um, by default. So uh, I'd be interested to see if they use some of those rewards to like funnel back towards the, the LPs or if it's just going to go to all the stakers. No, I believe in the video he, he does say that um, it they are going to use the uh, rewards to um, continue to incentivize the LP pools. So um, there, there's I just posted this video up top, guys, anyone, anyone coming in. Um, it's a real good uh, – it's about 12 minutes on the um, – Quicksilver um, airdrop and claiming, and then the, um, the he goes into um, I believe it's thirty percent of the supply. I'm 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 trying not to get them confused because I was looking at both um, Quicksilver and um, Stride, the other one. Um, yeah, Stride Zone and Quicksilver. So we're we're kind of wanting to talk about the difference between the two. Yeah, I mean, Stride uh, kind of doing a lot of similar things with, with their airdrop and everything to, to Quicksilver. I think you know, we're very familiar with Quicksilver, and they've been out for a while saying what they're doing. So, you know, and then Stride kind of came out of nowhere, which is good. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how the community reacts. Like, you know, obviously there's going to be one, you know, protocol that gets more liquidity than the other. Um, and people are going to choose. Some people are going to sell their airdrops. You know, some I'm interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, and and that's what I was thinking too. It's like they're both co- kind of going coming out, um, you know, in mid September, and it's like, all right, do I spend the time to you know kind of invest in in both of them? But then it's like you're double, 
you know, you're spreading yourself out, you're spreading your, um, your tokens out and, or should I just pick one and, you know, go, go for that, um, you know, provider, liquid staking provider. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of like what I was hoping to try to figure out. Um, it looks like they're both geared toward Adam Osmo and Juno stakers, but I believe the Quicksilver, the Osmosis is going to be delayed is what yeah, they were saying. That's what it looked like. And that's going to be interesting to see um, how that plays out. What's up? Cause there's going to be a, the Apollo liquid staking on Osmosis. There's also going to be dried. There's also going to be uh, Quicksilver. So they'll have a lot of options for, for Osmosis right out of the gate. What are you going to do, Clay? How you doing? Oh, maybe you can't talk right now. I'm sure Clay has some sort of plan for his air trustable already. Yeah. I know earlier today there were some spaces that it, it was hard to hear all the speakers. Ah, the usual glitches, huh? <clears throat> What's up? Happy Friday, everybody. Um, what up, what up? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen, I haven't been um, like paying attention too much, but I saw that there was like a tweet the other day that there was a list of like all these airdrops coming and i was like oh wow but yeah quicksilver was one of the first ones um what what day was it coming out on that one monday oh and i just forgot too we also have cutmo's launching it's, it's exciting it's getting pretty exciting and like the price action for um cosmos has been some of the best i've seen it uh, across like all the other coins but um yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we'll see. What's up, Ramon? What's up, Trendy? Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. How are we all doing? Hey, yo, hey, yo. Good, good, good over here. Friday. It's Friday, yep. Yeah, lucky. Yep. <laughs> uh, I've, uh, I've had my two and a half, three hours sleep overnight. It was lovely. Spent a bit of time with the family this morning. Got about seven two-year-olds running around in the laundry room at the moment, so I've hidden myself in in the office uh, to, to get away a little bit because <laughs> they're absolutely mental. Uh, yeah, we've got Quicksilver coming, uh, liquid staking. Uh, been I've been pretty excited about this one for a while now, actually. I um uh, I kind of started looking into the project a bit um, back when it uh, they first announced it. I think earlier in the year, and. Uh, they got some pretty cool people working in there. So pretty excited to see that one. Um, Say Network also been hinting a bunch of airdrops. Uh, that, that, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, order books, uh, super fast chain. Um, sounds exciting. Uh, I don't know what other features they kind of bring in addition to just like an order book. I'm not sure if there's going to be like lending or uh, margin or anything like that, but I'm sure they've got some stuff in the works. I haven't uh, been involved in their test nets or anything too much. Um, that one's pretty cool. Uh, and then Stride, like, it seems to be like liquid staking is like the in thing at the moment now. So uh, everyone's doing that at the moment. Um, and then uh, I keep hearing about this uh, Tory. Uh, I think they're on uh, GNO land. Does anyone know? Oh. Yeah, the Tory. Um, they're like geared towards tooling for the hub and for no land. Oh, um, okay. Territory, territory, right? Yeah, yeah, territory mm -hmm. network. Okay, cool. So they're like 
deploying on uh, on both sides and just like building tooling. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I know Haas just did a space with them, um, so we can probably you know find someone for Rook running back through that space. But yep. I remember reading that they were just trying to like be a dashboard and like a all-in-one stop for tooling for developers to build um, for the Cosmos stack and for Noland. Nice. Cool, cool. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, Mr. Mr. Dog, I think he's going to finally uh, go live. I was chatting to him the other, him, her, not sure, the other day. Uh, and uh, very, very soon, I, I think there's some, some scaling stuff that, that he's currently working through, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and uh, and then outside of that, it's pretty much ready to go from what I hear, which is pretty cool. There's a I kind of I posted some features that I think the other day that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, liquid staking, like pick your validator, um, all that sort of stuff is pretty sweet. Yeah, it's going to be cool that there's not like one liquid staking platform launching with so much gaps between the others. Um, so that way, like no one liquid staking protocol just becomes the kingmaker by default. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, and shout out to Petmos for putting off, you know, all the liquid staking, you know, for that. Um, but I think uh, Quicksilver is, is going to be kind of by default, like leading the way with interchain queries. Um, Cause they've kind of been the ones that have, you know, led the way through that and, um are building that out so i'm interested to see you know all the things that they start to implement and if anybody else decides to build on top of quicksilver as well too yeah they're saying five percent of the airdrop will be uh claimable instantly um five percent airdrop of quick will be claimable instantly to unlock then they want you to stake quick tokens to unlock 10 percent of the airdrop um Liquid stake assets on the protocol to unlock up to fifty-two percent of the airdrop. So, liquid, you know, obviously it's there's, um, you know, steps to unlock it all. But then, um, the video that I posted above, there'll be in, there'll be incentive incentivize uh, liquidity pools also. So, I think just, uh, in in the current market and with the evolution of uh, you know. Uh, the Cosmos net, uh, ecosystem. I think, uh, and Rob and I mentioned this briefly last night, like gone are the days of, you know, just getting airdrop tokens, right? Like people shouldn't be just dropping, you know, thousands of tokens into your wallet uh, and letting you do with them whatever you want, right? They've got to put liquidity up for those trades to occur. Uh, I think, you know, vesting, similar to what like uh, WindDAO is doing uh, as an example uh, is, uh, you know, I don't think they. I think they they vested it just until they actually like get their stuff in order. But like a vesting and a and a slow release is cool. Uh, similar to what Quicksilver is doing is cool. Like making you you run through the platform. I think like Crescent did it. I think uh, Asset Mantle did it to an extent. Um, I don't like the whole like pre quiz type stuff. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. But if you're releasing tokens by getting me to use your platform. I'm perfectly happy and fine to do that. I think that's a perfect way to I got to get people here and I got engaged. You know, this whole idea of rewards being used to incentivize liquidity, uh, they are unsustainable policies. I understand some people like likes it, but he doesn't understand that you got to have pretty high APRs to do this. And APRs come from somewhere. You got to mint them tokens. 
And people are very interested in high APRs. APRs go down, though, over time. They're static emissions. You look at the static emission schedule of any of these projects. After one year, the rewards are much lower. They're slashed. You should put that in perspective, though, when you talk about incentivizing liquidity. What about liquidity a year from now? So what do you think are the best ways to get organic, sticky liquidity that won't flee the moment? I'm going to sound very, very boring. And I'm going to sound like someone who is old school. You have a good team, a good product. You innovate the product. You have a relatively low APR. But your product has forward guidance that will grow, have more adoption. These are basic things. It's about products. It's about innovation, not rewards. I know that sounds boring, but you know what? Having a good product goes somewhere. So the kind of uh, build it and they will, they will uh, log on and begin to use the protocol. Marketing That's- and rewards should be separated. Rewards itself should not be a form of marketing because, again, yeah. it is unsustainable. Now, I don't believe that yeah. looking at the Web2 space, I have been a VC investor for now seven years. And I've gone to a thousand presentations, online, offline, whatever. Most of these entrepreneurs are young. They believe that they have a good product. People will come. That's not true. Often they load their products with way too many features saying, oh, we can do this. You can do this. You can do this. People think that because you have all these features, people will use it. That's not true as well. What is true is you have a product that people want at the time that you release the product. Often we have too much redundancy in crypto right now. The only differentiation, of course, between different products right now are the rewards. That itself is not a strong enough indicator of the success potentially of the product. And that is also true of Web2. Why is it that Calendly, which is simply an appointment program with very few features, is now worth a billion dollars? The guy who made it, a Nigerian-American, made five previous startups. And through that process of learning, he realized you've got to give the end users what they want. And they want something that's easy to use and integrates with a lot of things. That was what he discovered at the time. You've got to be like him. Understand what the user wants. Get a lot of feedback. Make sure that you understand how they use a product. These are things that a lot of projects never do. They never innovate upon the feedback of their users. They only give rewards, and therefore people are more interested in giving feedback like rewards are good right now. It's on an uptrend, talking about price rather than about the sustainability of the product itself. Do you think that projects right now, like Cosmos, but also just crypto in general, are too focused on being DeFi and not just being a real product? I would would concur with that. I would concur with that. You know, right now, I would say if you would go and do feedback from users, the biggest issue is integration. There's a lot of different projects scattered everywhere doing very redundant things. That's a big problem. But you know what? <clears throat> the issue next year might be different. And so you got to make sure either you're catching the innovation at the right time or you're innovating the product at the right time. It's hard. It's hard. So your point of like really, really good integration for your, for your product, do you think that, you know, Osmosis obviously played the high inflation game and it's kind of came back to bite them? But do you think that today, back to bite them, no matter what yeah. project? 
So do you think that if they slow play this and really integrate well, um, like a lending platform, a per like a person in a leverage platform, do you think that that's what you'd want to see in a product? Like really good integration and not just a thousand products on your platform that can all do the same thing and pick and choose which one. But yeah, I, I would say right now, uh, I guess the biggest issue in crypto is just the stable coin leverage issue of integration, right? So it, it's uh, something that needs to be cracked. Um, there's not a lot of stable coins that are not from a centralized exchange, but you know, um, they had this plan to use tokenomics to fund themselves. That's fair enough, but they need to focus on the product and they need to make sure people want to use their product. Um, so I would agree with you, uh, but they're not listening. I've told them this many times, but I get kicked out of their spaces. I get made fun of. I am assaulted. I, they say, hey, you fucking otter, get the fuck out of here. No one likes you, furry piece of shit. You're a fucking trash raccoon of the sea. All right, Jimmy, you can stay out there, but... Uh... I, yeah, I, I, hear, I hear what Jimmy's saying. There is a lot of redundancy. There's Everyone's either, either trying to be the NFT marketplace or DeFi, um, DeFi Central. And, you know, it's like you... It is. There's the tokenomics. After a while, the APRs go down. People get get attracted to higher APRs other place. It's mercenary capital. Um, I think Osmosis is trying to turn turn the ship around. They're trying to um, to get more um, different types of protocols on Osmosis. But, anyways, Jimmy, we're 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 trying to to um, differ- differentiate between these two liquid staking protocols that are coming out in the next couple of weeks, um, Quicksilver and Stride. Looks like, I've seen them. yeah, it looks like Quicksilver, is, they're going to start out with Genesis supply. I mean, it's a total 1 billion tokens total, but the Genesis supply is, is 20% at um, 200 million. And um, they're going to do the same thing. Looks like they're going to incentivize and community incentives are going to be, as long as you're early, man, it works for you. As yeah, long as you're early. You get in early and you, you get those incentives while they're, while they're, while they're dishing them out. And um, yeah, it, it works for the early adopters. Yeah. Early investors. Yeah. Early investors. Well, and, and, and see here, that's my question. You got Quicksilver and you got Stride. So it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to divide my capital between the two. I want to try to figure out which one's the best. I would um, say Stride's probably better to be honest. And from what I understand with Stride is you don't have to unlock your current tokens. Like you don't have to unlock your Atom. Like with Quicksilver, yeah, you have to actually unlock and then stake with them. Is, is that? Well, is that Stride has that? early withdrawal fees. Early withdrawal fees. Early has early withdrawal fees instead of locking. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that's the difference. Also too, Mayor, with, I think what you're, you're, you're thinking about is Quicksilver has the, is going to leverage the occlusion liquid staking module. So you can fraction like NFT, put your, like tokenize your uh, staked assets on the atom chain and transfer them over to Quicksilver without having to unbond. But that's not even going to be available on Quicksilver until other chains enable interchain accounts and things like that. I think to start, you have to have fresh assets. I'm not sure that you can use the liquid staking module just yet. All right. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty focused on this stuff, but you know, I uh, I gotta tell everyone right now, if you're going to invest, just realize 
this investment may be old news one year from now. Maybe old news. Now, if everyone's trying to get in early to dump the tokens, fair enough. That's up to you. Just realize this conversation is moving on at some point. The space does move fast. It's impossible to pick the winner. It does move very fast. But one of the reasons why it moves fast is because projects aren't necessarily bad because they have bad products. Projects are bad because of the token prices nosedived and there's no way it'll ever come back up because the circulating supply increases. As you said, it starts at 20%. Circulating supply goes back up maybe to 50% of total supply within one year. That's insane. Well, I think it's insane. Maybe you guys don't think it's insane, but yeah. Do you think there's anything projects can do to save their, their tokenomics after they've launched? Or are they just... Yeah, I've always believed in dynamic emission schedules where basically you, use, uh, you track on-chain activity to uh, basically create a dynamic schedule where it may increase or decrease depending on activity. Um, that's one way. Um, second way is um, lower APRs in the beginning. Uh, that's what, that may sound silly, but that's the second way. Uh, the third way is uh, when the token launches, it has to be a gradual launch where, um, you know, you're not immediately listing it on a lot of exchanges. You're trying to reduce circulating supply out there. Um, you know, stock. Well, anyway, uh, for me, tokens are like, as I said before many times, uh, convertible bonds. And convertible bonds have call options. Um, so when you're releasing a token, it's not, not like a stock. It's like debt. Like these are obligations. They're like bad debt you're releasing to the system that people can call back because they, you know, they take it and they sell it right on the open market. There's huge downward pressure on the price of these things early on. What she just said, early investors are good, right? But early investors try to sell at some point. So I would, yeah, as I said before, I, I don't think that locking is good. I like withdrawal fees. Um, and, um, you know, it's good enough to f- protect against flash loan attacks for me. From my what evidence I've seen of it, it's sufficient. So that's uh, I guess those are the main arguments. All right, it's it's good to understand that because for for new people coming in, it, it's it's hard to. You guys aren't new people, huh? You guys are not new people. I, I understand that, but for other new people, or like you know, at the be- at the beginning of this year, osmosis was like eight dollars a token, you know, and it it. I think it had a high of like ten ten dollars per. What's the price now? <laughs> a buck twenty two. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, not all projects go down to that extent. Um, obviously, for example, you have your your Ethereum's and your Nears and so forth, which haven't taken such a nosedive. Even your avalanches down ninety percent, Jimmy. Come on, let's be real. Ethereum's down ninety down more than. More than ninety. Ethereum and Bitcoin are different because they're the main ones. But like near down substantially. I think it like peaked at twenty five bucks. It's down mm-hmm. to four dollars. Right. Well, what Chainlink is down ninety percent. If you want to go find exact examples, sure. Like, yeah, I mean, I, it, I, I like exact examples down. rather than giving ridiculous broad strokes like you usually yeah. do. They've they've all taken a hit. Easy, easy guys. They've all taken well, a, a stock, hit. The stock market too, the bond market, everything's taking a hit. People are converting to cash because cash is king. But you can come back after this or not come back after this. If your circulating supply increases two to three X in the bear market, when the bull market comes up, do you think that people are gonna get in there? Mm, I'm not sure, guys. It's competition. 
Yeah, Competition, sure. a lot of it will come in the bull market. So to, to um, be specific, Mr. Jimmy the Otter, near is down 80% from its high and it went mm-hmm. down to 86.5% at its low. Okay, well, that's that not 90. Enough? Oh, sorry, 4%, mate. I'm sure that's going to really uh, make a difference on that token. For this otter, who, who's all about precision because of how small my teeth are, yes. All right. Well, the, the point is, is that, yeah, a lot of these protocols and tokens due to the inflation take a severe, severe hit in, the, in a bear market. And yeah, they're not going to come back to where they were if they're not, um, you know, top, top 10 coins, you know, top five. If anybody else out there does have any questions about stride or Quicksilver or anything, feel free to come up and ask. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy for sure. and I brought her, don't worry. Late, I don't like 89%. Nope, still not 90. <laughs> Jimmy, I think you got to be careful. There's a little good gang of raccoons in here, man, and you're a single otter. The otter army. Yeah. Man, building the dam right he's now. He's got a big. Yeah, I, can, I, can, I can swim, you know? I can yeah, swim out and he's got to fuck off dam. He'll, like, uh, he'll just start pulling twigs out of it, man, and then he'll just flood us. We'll be just chilling, and all of a sudden, just a torrent of water will just come rushing down because he's burst his own dam to get us back. And then he'll, re- he'll rebuild it. And we'll just be sitting there going, shit, man. That little otter. Powerful. Does anybody know I was in a space hosted by CNBC the other day. And uh, I, they even brought me up as a speaker. I don't know why. They're pretty stupid. And I explained you know, this and that. And I said, as an otter, as an otter, as an otter. And then finally, one of the hosts said, Are, do you really think that you're an otter? I was like, what do you mean? Look at my PFP. If I wasn't an otter, would you have let me up? And they were like, and then they kicked me out. They're racist. Oh, Jimmy, I wish I was there for that one, actually. <laughs> I've been on a UN space. There's actually a UN hosted space about a month ago. And the host was such a nice guy. Uh, very, very nice guy. Finally, people from the actual UN came up and said, can you kick this guy out? Can you kick this guy out? And the host was like, oh, okay. I'm not really sure how to. And it took him about 10 minutes to figure it out. Yeah. You were just torturing him, Jimmy. I don't do this intentionally. I just do this because... Sometimes the truth can only come from a little comical humor. People don't want to hear serious opinions unless it's wrapped in some form of, of absurdity. That's the truth. I mean, uh, John Stewart is able to explain much harder truths through his comedy than anyone will ever listen to Joe Biden or some of these serious political analysts at universities like Harvard or Yale or something like that, or even the University of Wellington or Christchurch. Rama. Yeah, New Zealand. Yeah. What's that got to do to me? With me. That is your land, isn't it? I'm Australian, homie. Same thing. Uh, no, if we're going to be very specific here, Johnny, uh, Mr. Jimmy, um, Australia, very big island. New Zealand, very big. tiny, tiny, very tiny little thing about uh, three or so thousand kilometers to the southeast of Australia. Two separate nations. Uh, Australia, big, scary things that want to kill you. Uh, Convicts, New Zealand, nothing there wants to kill you except for the natives who are the Maoris. Uh, They're very big, strong, lovely people. Well, I I will only mention I was deported from Australia to New Zealand for my illegal overstay. Interesting. Australia deported you to New Zealand because you stayed for too long. I swam from New Zealand to Australia. 
Right. Turns out when I was in the deportation center, almost everyone there was from New Zealand. Yeah, so we we do uh, remove a lot of New Zealanders. Uh, we have some pretty crazy laws. Like, uh, as as an example, if you are a New Zealand citizen and you commit a crime, or if you're involved with like a, a criminal gang or syndicate, you literally just get deported immediately, and they find you. They're just like, "Hey, you can't be part of a gang and be in our country," and then they just chuck you on a plane and send you home. It's kind of wild. Well, I have seen that Australia is increasing its permanent immigration caps. That's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, we 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 love to to bring people over. I don't. Have yeah. Problem with it. Like, uh, I don't have a problem with it either. It's cool. It's always good to have uh, more uh, more skills and more uh, diversity in Australia. I've heard that right now. Diverse. fruit is going unpicked. Baggage Very is going so, unchecked. Yeah. And that roads are going unpaven because of the lack of labor. But yeah, you guys kicked me out. Going through uh, kind of some crazy weather recently, right? So like heaps of floods that like destroyed a lot of our crops. So then they went absolutely crazy with like planting, and now they don't have enough people to pick them where they'd normally just like over a period of months be able to pick them. They're trying to like harvest all at the same time because of the floods that we had. Um. Uh, the roads thing again. Uh, the flooding uh, destroyed like thousands of kilometers of roads, and uh, they're uh, they're trying to get contractors in to come and repair all of the roads so people can use them again. Well, I uh, have invested pretty heavily in uh, uh, farm robotics companies that pick fruit robotically. I think that that's the future. Yeah, I think. Uh, it- it's, it's got like actual like mechanical arms and stuff that like go and like pick apples and all that sort of shit that we're talking about, not just like trucks. Twenty four seven picking. Yeah, right. Interesting. Very interesting videos if you watch them. You know, just robots I, I going down. Right, like have a camera, be able to detect uh, what the ripe fruit are, pick them, scan them, make sure that they're good to go in the cell basket, and then uh, dump it in the box. Yeah, that's pretty much what they do, and um, they're not that expensive. Actually, they've been in development since 2014, most of these products. And um, if you go to videos of this, you'll be amazed. Uh, you can lease them, so you don't even need to buy them. You can just lease them. Very cool. Robotic fruit picking. Um, I've seen, I've seen uh, some machines that... Definitely take the manual labor labor out of it, and that probably is the future for sure. Well, we're living in a future where labor right now is a commodity, an expensive yeah. commodity, taking up a majority of the product cost. And uh, there are attempts to unionize labor to basically take the yield of every product, reducing the yield so that it returns back as a dividend to labor. I don't think this is going to work. You would not be in the business of making your products if you had to worry about long-term yield going back to your labor commodity. That's just an impossible situation right now. And what's the minimum wage in Australia? What, $23 dollars Australian dollars an hour? It's insane. Uh, is it that high? I thought it was something like... Uh, no, you're probably right. With inflation, it probably is up to around 20 bucks. That's not like... That, isn't that the real reason why there's no enough labor? It's just not, not high, high enough. Uh, oh no no so like it's 
I think that's a good minimum, right? And in terms of cost, uh, I think for small, you know, cafes and stuff, it's probably quite high for them to cover. Um, but they also, uh, I think they have like penalty rates and shit, which kind of screws them over. Um, but like as a general uh, rule of thumb, like 20 bucks an hour is not that much money. Uh, but it's a good baseline. I would say that like the kind of the average uh, person's more closely aligned to like 35 to $40 an hour. You know, what makes me angry is uh, I remember John Curtin, who was the prime minister of Australia in the 1940s. And this is a guy who came from a labor union, but at the same time negotiated against labor unions because he realized that labor unions were getting way too greedy. Um, Australia used to be a manufacturing power. We used to make cars, we used to make airplanes, aircraft carriers. Now it's a service economy and a commodities economy. For me, as this otter, I'm against this. You know, if you want to even export something with battery from Australia, it's illegal. You cannot export things with lithium batteries inside of it, which is ridiculous. Australia is one of the most overly regulated markets in the world. It's uh, basically a government-run economy focusing on exporting commodities and importing services. This is not sustainable. Australia will be a failed state in 20 years at some point. I worry about the economic livelihood of you humans over there on that large island with the emus. We don't say that word, Jimmy. It's a, it's a very sore point still. Um, but I, I appreciate the, uh, the concern. Uh, you know, Mackenzie uh, King, you know, when he was prime minister, he was the one who basically pushed Australia into a manufacturing country. And then in the 1970s, you had all these prime ministers uh, like uh, Bob Hawke and, you know, who pushed interest rates up a lot. And yet you venerate these dudes. I can't understand why you venerate the last four prime ministers between Hawke to, I guess, Gillard. I mean, these people have done very bad jobs, in my opinion. Um, very bad jobs. We haven't, we haven't had a good prime minister in like 30 years. They're all dog shit. Do you think Hawk was a good prime minister? No, no, they're all dog shit. Okay, <laughs> why do you think that? For the country. Do you think that only because of the results or because he was very popular though? He's still very popular, even though he Popularity doesn't make you good at your job. That's true, that's true. But uh, <laughs> Australian people are uh, people who hate politicians. They, they, you're for people who don't like politics. Um, the, the problem with the world, and this isn't unique to Australia, is we have career politicians and not people who actually want to influence change and direct a, con- a country in a certain uh, path uh, with a, a long-term approach. The reason why China for a while had such a great success was they put in like a 30 to 40-year plan and they were able to execute that plan over a period of time. Has that worked out for them fantastically? Probably not, but at least... I think so. I mean, have you heard that it's uh, current people life expectancy is now higher than the United States? Yeah, but the majority of Chinese people are extremely poor and overworked. Well, you know what? Not everyone can be Australia, which is surrounded by water. Um, China has been invaded historically. At one point, it was a country which basically didn't even have a single language. If you ever listen to Mao Zedong and listen to the way he speaks, he doesn't even speak Mandarin Chinese very well. Um, actually, he was illiterate in Chinese, to be honest. Uh, he spoke uh, Hubei, and uh, he could only write 
Cantonese. This is a country that was highly fragmented just 40, 50 years ago. And now, you know, has single institutions, singular languages, singular political entities. Um, that's a very strong kind of trajectory arc of growth. But then you have Australians. Australians can't even come together to fix basic issues. And they're a relatively rich country right now by exporting rent, the rent-seeking behavior of having large amounts of commodities. They're lucky. Not all islands have commodities, to be honest. Australians are the luckiest people in the world. And yet, Australians should be richer, right? If I had the largest uh, deposits of uranium, for example, lithium, if I had the largest deposits of potassium, I would spread these profits into dividends instead of well, like, conglomerate. So the, 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 the problem that we have is, and this is exactly what I was just saying, is that our leaders are absolutely dog shit and they give this away for cents on the fucking dollar rather than actually taxing these motherfuckers who want to take our shit that is a limited resource. They give it away for nothing. You know, there's even oil in Australia. They have large deposits of of oil and natural gas. There's a bunch out in the oceans, and the reason why we don't bring up that oil is because we have very good uh, oceans uh, and uh, ecosystems in in those areas. So we don't want to be going up and dredging and digging up oil, uh, you know, a thousand kilometers away from the Great Barrier Reef. I think those are very good things. I understand that. No, that's fine. That's fair enough. And then uh, uh, the other parts that we do uh, do a a bit of oil mining is uh, in the south near Tasmania, uh, near the Great Australian Bight, which is, again, that's a massive current uh, through there. Probably not the best place to be, you know, drilling for oil. If there was a spillage, that shit's going most of the way around the world, right? Not, Not ideal. Uh, And then the other part is uh, up north near Darwin in the Northern Territory in between like Australia and Papua New Guinea. Again, like super massive oceans uh, and ecosystems of great importance to those islands. Again, not the best places to be really drilling for oil. There are some spots off the east coast of Australia near Sydney, etc. But they're not that far out in terms of depth. So we do, again, have like a lot of our fisheries and stuff are in there and we don't really want to be drilling oil near a bunch of our fisheries and stuff. So, um, you know, there is, it is there. Should we be drilling it? I don't think so. I well, think I'll, I'll say important. Um, I spoke at a conference in Macquarie University talking about the real reason behind immigration in Australia. It was because Australia's population was not large enough to defend the actual island. In World War II, the population was so small that parts of the of the continent had to be um, basically left behind in the case of an invasion. Australia's population was what, seven or eight million at the time? It was tiny. Um, yeah, we're still. So they had to right? basically we're like 28 now. Well, I think the definition of tiny now is quite relative. Um, yeah. In my opinion, the way it should work is uh, there should be limited immigration and a focus on uh, high income jobs like Singapore. Um, I don't believe that by constantly increasing immigration caps, it necessarily leads to a better quality of life for all Australians. Certainly will lead to an increase in social welfare spending. Uh, you have, like Sydney, for example, is in all examples a failed city. It costs more to manage the city than will ever receive in tax from the residents of the city. Uh, Australia is a nation that is not fit for purpose for a large population due to the climate. Um, it is highly, one of the most highly urbanized countries in the world. 
I think it actually is the second most urbanized country in the world, if I'm not mistaken. That's probably an example of why it's a bad idea to increase the population of Australia. And yet, the population continues to increase through immigration. I would be in favor of immigration to countries like, for example, you know, the United States or Canada. We don't have these issues in the United States. We don't have these issues because we have very, very fertile soil, extremely fertile soil. Um, and Australia, it doesn't at all. What? Are you high? Um, uh, America has, we have more corn that feed the world two times over again, but we convert it into ethanol. You realize like Australia, one of Australia's largest exports is uh, cattle and beef, right? And yeah, but that's not them, farming. You can't have. feed the whole world of cattle. You can only feed the whole world of grains. You didn't, you didn't let me finish. We also have like massive, massive, extremely rich lands in uh, the Hunter Valley and uh, the inner west where it's just 100% pure farming uh, of wheat, grain, fruit, veg. Like if you go to the Great Prairie of the United States, uh, we have this ability to integrate vertically between production and farming. Uh, you're an island. The costs of production are very high for you. Very, very high. And the cost of exporting is extremely high. The United States has never had this problem. Um, we are by far the most vertically integrated first world economy out there. We need the immigration. We need why a lot of it. Why country suck so bad then? Well, I would say the reason why America sucks so badly is because it is not run by people like me, otters. It is run by people who um, are trying to hurt otters, people of human privilege. And um, we don't have a John Curtin. We have a Joe Biden. And I think that if John Curtin was alive today, he'd be like, on earth, how did this guy get to the top? This is a guy with basically no real successes in his political record. You know, John Curtin died because he overworked himself to death. FYI. Hello, Mr. Null. We have two Aussies in the call. I don't think this is allowed. So That's I might no good. That's no good. We don't need I, I more Aussies. No Hello, friends. All I can say is that there's a lot of misinformation coming out of that order. Yep. <laughs> and I don't mind. We, like, you know, Australia is like, Australia is a massive agricultural country, man. It's like our two exports are basically agriculture and, uh, and resources. Like we're massive wheat exporters, wool, uh, all kinds of stuff, beef. Uh, a lot of our beef goes to China. We're like the Asia food bowl because we're the biggest farming country in the area. Well, I'm pretty sure the largest producers of rice are not Australia. Well, Why would we maybe not rice? rice. We don't have a farm <laughs> for rice production, brother. Well, you know, rice is what energized Asia to have the population it has today, right? Could you imagine trying to grow rice in Australia in summer now or even in our winter? Exactly. You guys are there's, nothing but there's no way to imagine your significance. But significance for me is about how to protect the world against itself. America, the reason why America is the greatest country in the world is we're able to invade any country we want to. Any country. Even your country. Actually, you protect our country. Why would you invade it? We, well, we have an invasion of a, of a type. It's called American culture and American finance. And that hasn't really worked here in Australia. China, well, you, you, you like Leonardo DiCaprio, you like, you like our artists, our actresses. We have taken over your country through a back door. 
Why? Because of culture? You're nothing more than an American aircraft carrier that is bounded by land. Oh man, you're such a, I, I figured out what you're doing. You're, you're just an antagonist. No, I'm not. Is this your never. first time talking, speaking to the otter, Mr. Null? <laughs> never, never talked to this Jimmy before, but yeah, I figured that out quick. <laughs> yeah, the, the otter. We we enjoy our spaces with the otter. You, you've got to uh, you've got to pick your battles and your sentences. It, it's a good time, Jimmy. You know, when Jimmy I was in Australia, I was walking around Sydney, and I'm only three foot tall, right? I'm only three foot tall. I was saying, "Hey, there, Australian girl," and all those blonde Australian girls were ignoring me and so forth. So I got really, really tall shoes out platform shoes and i was walking around you know at a shirt my shirt was open my fur was showing and i was like hey baby someone smacked me really hard man threw me into the ocean i had to swim back to the united states <laughs> so what's going on mr uh no we were literally just speaking about how uh australia has a shortage of uh workers currently uh for picking fruit and repairing roads uh did you and, want to uh, for the airports too uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's, it's not just labor shortages over here. There's, there's labor shortages, there's materials shortages, there's, uh, the will to work shortages, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, nothing specifically on that, uh, Rama, just that, um, it's definitely an issue. That's for sure. There is a massive, massive decline in, uh, the workforce from work participation. Uh, COVID. Hey, work participation rate. Yeah. So I think uh, because of stimulus and stuff during COVID, there's a lot of people that haven't really returned to work yet. They're still sort of sitting on that. Um, but also like the downtime because of COVID infections still is quite high. So uh, there's a lot of labor, uh, that sort of rotates on and off as the infections come and go. Policies are adjusted as the infection rates go up and down. So you end up with a lot of uh, work from home labor uh, in, you know, the professional or, or office services. But let's, let's face it, they're not working. They're just at home. Uh, so productivity is down. Uh, you know, the ability to import stuff has been severely impacted because of shipping routes. And being an island, as you say, yeah, it is difficult to get stuff here and difficult to get stuff out with the current capacities. So we have been pretty affected, for sure. I didn't realize I was off mute that whole time. Right. You know, on uh, 1943, I was participating in the Australian Army. I was on the Dakota track at the time, defending Papua New Guinea and Fort Moresby. And uh, I was not recognized for my service. Um, I propose that we bring them, uh, our otter army into Australia as workers, but that was how many, how many uh, participants are there in your otter army, and like where are they primarily from? Like, are you a multinational syndicate of otter army, or do you like all hail from? Hey, something. But there's like one other person, other 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 otter, one you want them. Yeah, like your your otter army. You said you've got an army. It can't be an army of one. Well, you should look at the motto of the United States Army. The motto literally is an army of one. An army of one nation? I don't know what that one means, actually. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. I mean, well, you still haven't really answered my question. Like you, it, so it is just an army of one, just your army is Jimmy, the auto. Mm-hmm. Well, it's That's, probably why it haven't been recognized. Like, in, ineffective, I would say, more than likely. Hmm, that's uh, that's interesting. Well, I in 1944, I had to join the New Zealand forces uh, in Italy, but uh, I was also kicked out. In fact, they tried to eat me. Was that an actual Kiwi that tried to eat you? Did they bring them? Did they bring the Kiwi army as well? No, no. Well, technically, as a Maori, he looked at me and said, "You look delicious. You look so delicious." Uh, I had to run away. I have heard speak of like stewed otter beak is quite quite good. It's like you have to stew it for quite a while though. It's quite it's a bit tough if you don't. So you talk about eating my cousins, my friend. Yeah, but you know they didn't put up much of a fight. That's why I was wondering where your otter army came from. Well, you, you can tell where they came from. They're all eaten. They're all in stews now, and we're in bellies and on the ground somewhere as fertilizer. Yeah, so that's, I guess that's why you're an army of one now. Like, there might have been more previously, right? There was a large number of us, but we, uh, we lost our lives during the war. Um, much like the indigenous population of Australia, we need our rights recognized. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, progress in that in the last couple of decades, I would say. It's uh, definitely a long way to go. Years. They're getting their own MP, and we also need their own MP. You what? Grow a what? Aust- Indigenous Australians? Mr. No, are, are you involved with the uh, Game of Nodes guides? Yeah, uh, founding Game member right here, Game of Nodes. Didn't even get tagged by Coin, coin Hall. Feels bad. I, get, I literally get just ignored in all of the press on, on Game of Nodes. It's like I don't even exist. Am I like stuck yeah. underneath the uh, underneath the, the little logo or something? Can people not see me? I feel small like the otter. Sorry, what was your question, Mr. Mayor? Or was that the question? Is he part of Game of Nodes? I think we lost the mayor. The yes. mayor's had enough. He's outraged. You there, mayor? <laughs> yeah, dude, I've been, uh, I've been like, loving the the game of notes that just uh i have like one more to catch up on um oh the latest episode yeah when phrase mike was screwed up uh, look I- i'm glad you enjoy it we're actually gonna um shake up the format a little bit because in the later episodes we've actually we've gone just so far off the rails that it's not funny so we're we're changing the format to make it a little bit tighter on on the subject that we're actually supposed to be talking about instead of roundabouts and trains. Like Australian history and things like that and others. You try yeah, to like, I mean, Frey. I love story time with Frey though. The Frey is an issue. He <laughs> goes off on a fucking tangent and there is no pulling him back. You just have to sit there and wait for the end of the story and then move on. A lot of times, like, no one knows what the fuck he's talking about, but no one knows enough to, like, you know, interject. <laughs> yeah, like, the other day, uh, I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about for, like, 10 minutes. I was just sitting there smiling, going, yep. <laughs> A lot of those usually result in... So, anyway, back to the thing we were talking about. But um, I think what we're going to do moving forward is that we're going to uh, try and stick to our topic list 
uh, for a tight 60 minutes of content. And then we're going to roll the credits and then we're just going to proceed with our shit talk for like a target of half an hour, but I guess up to two and a half hours. I was about to say, if it's just, you know, the bullshit, that'll, that'll just go. That'll be open real. Well, I mean, people seem to actually, you know, enjoy our banter to some degree. So we want to keep it there, but we also want to cover the topics that we actually intended to cover because it seems like we come with a list and we might hit like one or two things on that list and then it's already 90 minutes. So it feels like we should, you know, try to at least make some effort to tighten up the show a little bit so that we're trying to stay on track somewhat. And then we've got a period of time where we can just talk shit. And if people aren't interested, they can piss off. Yeah, I think it's a little compromise. But I think that's part of, like you said, like people enjoy that little the banter and the talking and just who you guys are. I think that's, you know, the personality of the, the show. So. And I mean, that's what makes the show fun to be on, to be honest. Obviously, there'll still be some banter as we go through the, the uh, actual conversation um, about the various topics we're talking about. But we will try in that first 60 minutes to not get caught up in uh, off-topic conversation like trains or movies or books or politics or, you know, those types of things that we tend to, like, get mentioned and then stuck on for an hour. Like, they're, they're really long videos, so I, I, I can't get through the whole thing. And so um, I, I, you were breaking up on me, but I guess that's what you were saying. You guys are trying to cut back the time a little bit. Yeah, so we're not sure if we're going to, like, put the post show in a separate video, um, but we want to try and tighten up the actual podcast um, on topic to about 60 minutes and then um, have the post-show banter after that uh, or just talk about general topics that we want to talk about or or what people might mention in the um, in the comments. That's kind of away from the main topics of that week. But potentially we might just start having, you know, episode 27 and the the title of that and then episode 27 after show or something like that, where we just talk about the other shit. So people can go and listen to the after show and not the main show if they want, if that's all they really like, or people can actually hear about the topic that we're supposed to be talking about in a shorter, tighter um, segment. That makes sense. Yes, it does very much. And uh, yeah, I enjoy hearing some of the topics from the, the validator perspective on, you know, just, general topics with with the tech and you know validating and, and all the propositions that are coming through and all the governance that's coming through and just it's good to get a good different perspective from it yeah man i think like we try to make it an unfiltered thing right the whole reason we started it was because we talked anyway and we we sort of just you know would jump on a call talk about stuff uh, and, you know, it might last an hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours, whatever, however long we talk for. And we're like, well, you know, the stuff we're talking about is is things that um, might be of interest to just not necessarily only other validators um, and other, like, infrastructure providers, but, you know, other participants in the ecosystem, i.e. the users who might want a little bit more of context around, you know, validating and, and the decisions that we make and why we make them. Um, and just try and provide like that perspective um, or at least somewhere where if anyone's interested, they can go and see that perspective uh, from us. 
So that's kind of why we started it in the first place. And I think we should try and stick to that um, format rather than, um, you know, trying to be like anyone else. I think we should stick to our roots and why we started it in the first place. Um, but all the banter and stuff, it's just, you know, it's just the way we, you know, we're all friends. So it's just how we talk. And so, uh, you know, the only thing I think we should try to do is try to remove a little bit of that and just move it to a separate section just so that, you know, the, the actual main thing is more on topic and less long. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's, it's like the, the time frame on YouTube is either, uh, it's like either 10, 10 to 15 minutes or, you know, you have to go out an hour and have, you know, some really good content. But, um, so what what would be like do you guys have any suggestions on like runtime length because um you know we do want to try and make it more uh consumable i guess to people so that uh you know people come and watch and, and it gets popularized we're not really in it to make money from it but we do want it to be consumed um otherwise you know what's the point i think 10 minutes um, is fine 10 minutes What's that? 10 minutes of serious talk is fine. Just 10? Is that the attention span of an order? Yeah. I, I, I seriously think that that's no shit. I mean, if you look at successful serious spaces, you know, the difference between this and Joe Rogan's podcast is that Joe Rogan is able to get some heavy hitters. And he's also got the Spotify marketing going on of YouTube. And um, here, people just want to hear some serious bullet points. People don't read books anymore. They read bullet points. Get some bullet points out, and then you begin the conversation. People like pub banter. And uh, if you're going to, you really think someone's going to listen to a serious issue for 60 minutes or 40 minutes, I think you're high. High. Well, I mean, we're happy. If no one wants to listen to that, we're happy with that. We'll stick to the niche. We'll do 60 minutes of real talk, and all the bullet point readers can go and listen to influencers. Well, well, as someone who has 2 million followers, I can tell you right now that bullet points don't hurt. 2 million followers? What are they, like ants? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I don't think there's 2 million orders left in the world. Maybe like 3 or 4. That's right. Oh, does an order not actually have a hard beak? Huh. I thought you were no, more we similar don't. to a platypus. Oh, it's the tail. Platypuses are poisonous. It's otter right? tail. Yeah. <laughs> Platypuses are poisonous. They have tentacles. Of course they're poisonous. They, they come from Australia. <laughs> there is not yeah. much that won't kill you in Australia. Well, I was dating an Australian woman, and uh, she, she broke me. wanted to kill you. Yep. Well, what happened was after uh, a hard night of you-know-what, she, she forced me to have hip surgery the next day. I haven't actually met many Australian women that are into uh, bestiality, so you must have, like found a niche there what kind of club were you going to well her name was julia gillard oh well yeah. he, he was actually he was actually at the vets uh that thus the hip surgery oh that's where the predators are at the vet yes i uh have dated um various australians um everyone from uh you know your your influential leaders to uh the the lady, the billionaire lady who is very rich, very Good very round. Gina ride your hard. Yes, uh, I was. I was uh, one of hers. I mean, Good you're you're doing 
you're doing good, pretty cultured, uh, able to like name drop uh, Australian figures. I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty impressed to be honest. Yeah, yeah so I used to live in Australia before I was deported. Yeah, I was deported. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like you've really got any recent knowledge, so that makes sense. We, uh, yeah, you know, we don't really like to have uh, invasive species, so we, we tr- when we find out that they're here, we, we get rid of them pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, probably New Zealand would be a good place to deport them to, I suppose. How long did you last there before they deported you elsewhere? Did they well, just John try to deport T- you back to Australia? Yeah, John T. didn't like me very much. I tried to meet John T. on a few occasions. Um, but you know what? I was the only otter to join the Liberal Party. And when they found out that I was ID number 242424, they said, you know, congratulations. And they actually came to meet me in person at my office. They then found out that I was uh, here illegally because I had floated over from Australia after being deported. And um, I put a letter in to John Key to be uh, absolved and to be pardoned. He put me on a plane the next day to America, where I guess I am from. Um, but. I also sent a letter to Paul Keating saying, you know, having uh, served in the Anzac forces um, during the First and Second World War, I would like a bit of, you know, brotherly love here. Uh, I was a scout. Um, I would float from line to line delivering ammunition on my belly. But he didn't believe me. He didn't believe me. On your belly? Yes. Did you float upside down? Yes. I mean, that, that's a talent in itself. You should have got an award for that. Well, Australian... The big in, well, historically speaking, in the Australian Army, medals are very hard to get. You know, unlike the Americans, which like medals. If you get wounded in the Australian Army, you don't get a medal for that. But in America, it's the only country in the world where if you get wounded, you actually get your own medal for it. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's like kind of... Get, it's a participation award, right? You're getting yeah, awarded sure. for taking an L. Mm-hmm. And um, I did put my letter in Typical for uh, America. Just uh, just hand out shit for no reason. Call themselves the best in the world. Yeah, that's participation right. awards. You know, it's fucking drugs, guns, whatever you need. Come to America. Well, uh, I did put myself in uh, for a military cross, but it was downgraded to a military medal. But again, when they found out I was not actually in the Australian Armed Forces. That was, in fact, an otter on volunteer service. They uh, downgraded me again to, uh, to being deported. <laughs> I, I see. It seems to be a common thing here, Mr. Mr. Otter. Uh, the, everything you try to do, the end result just means that you get deported. It's almost like well, I, maybe yeah. you, you shouldn't have been in the Australian country uh, and you try to do all these things. Uh, that raised attention to the fact that you're an illegal immigrant. Well, I, uh, I have been to the deportation centers and um, many people um, have the same opinion as I do, that we were contributing to Australia and we deserve some form of entitlement. But of course, the deportation officers and the custom officials said that we were just entitled and that is a bad thing. But at least you got put up in a nice spot, right? Like food. Uh, shelter, blanket. Christmas uh, Island? Yeah, like you had food, um, shelter, uh, a blanket. It was nice. Well, well, what, what, we can't just be said that. In the woods. 
Well, it should be said that uh, from time to time, many of the Iraqi and Iranian immigrants would use me as a uh, for their bum gun. They would stick a little wooden stick up my, my bottom and uh, use me to brush their sides. Are you, do, do you have trauma from those experiences, Jimmy? Is this a, are we, we going to turn to your counselor? Caressing the backside of uh, people who use bum guns is never an easy thing to forget. I, I hope you're okay, Jimmy. I, I truly do. Thank I, hope you. I hope you're talking through these issues with someone and uh, you get the help that you need. Uh, so then you can come out the other side uh, feeling uh, a renewed energy to continue to build dams. Well, I am planning to float back over to Australia next year. Um, and um, I hope I will be successful. But that, that would make sense. We do have a Labour government at the moment, a generally uh, weak on uh, border policy. So you've probably timed it quite well. Uh, give him like another year, six months or so to really weaken those um, those borders, uh, you know, stop stop the patrols. Uh, and then, um, you know, you, you'll, be, you'll be right. You'll just be able to slide straight by. No one will notice. Uh, but then be, be careful because uh, if the Liberals get back in, they'll find you pretty quickly and, again, just deport you uh, back Yeah, in. so that seems like the likely scenario. That seems yeah, like I mean, well... Scenario. We could have a Labor government for quite a while now. So, I mean, it seems likely that you should be able to, A, easily get in, B, easily get money. They'll probably just give it to you for being an otter. Yep. And yep. Uh, you can just coast your way for like the next four to eight years until we get a libs again and they just come and shoot you. I'd, I'd say yeah, like... We're, uh, we're going into a recession. The, the, the Labor government get back in, uh, do the rescue packages, sort out the economy, and then... Uh, yeah, so you should, you you should illustrate... You should illustrate that if you're going to say sort out the economy, you should you should put that in air quotes. Uh, one yeah, problem yeah, I thought that was just a, a known implied. thing that whenever anyone yeah. says sort out the economy, there's unwritten air quotes across the world. Implied air quotes. Um, yeah. It's worth noting, though. I think this is the first time in a long time that Labor's come back into power where there's not a budget surplus. So usually their their modus is to get into power destroy the budget, spend the surplus, uh, get a nice deficit, and then hand it back to um, the libs to, to fix for the next eight years. Uh, however, like role reversal this time, right? Like the, 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 the old libs have tripled the, the deficit in, uh, in 12 years. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's the Labor platform, right, is that they, they give all the money away. So I, I think they might be a single-term government because they're not going to get that effect that everybody wants by just giving the money away because there's none to give. Yeah. Hey, can I, uh, can I ask a crypto question here? You're you bringing us back on topic, man. Okay. I'm trying. I'm just I'm getting distracted. You're like, you're like null on Game of Nodes. Well, no, <laughs> Mr. Null, um, do you have any uh, commentary or thoughts on the Ethereum merge coming up and what effect that will have on the Ethereum network? And, you know, there's talks of a fork and all that kind of craziness. I am absolutely going to have to, like, uh, put out my disclaimer of ignorance on the ethereum network because i just don't have the bandwidth to uh consume the data over there so i really don't 
uh, know too much about it and the merge or anything around it. Although I do know that we should be in for some uh, pretty cheap graphics cards. Uh, with the miners not, or a lot of miners coming on market? Well, yeah, there's going to be uh, a lot of um, GPU miners that have nothing to do with those cards anymore. So I'd say there'll be a pretty big uh, flood in the used market for a pretty long time. Come in, come in. Who wants your 3,000 hour, 99% uh, utilization GPU? Come get it. The people get yeah, it. Yeah, well, <laughs> Sorry, what was that, Tricky? I said the people that are getting out of kicked out of Hetzner might want them. So, I like I I don't use Hetzner, but I'm I'm interested in that um, topic a little bit because, uh, I mean, it's everyone's everyone's freaked out about that lately, right? So, um, are people actually like? Is there documented instances of people actually getting kicked out of Hetzner, or have they just put like a, a warning shot across the bow? No, they're they're going to kick people out. They're going Maybe. to kick out how, and they're going to give people a time frame, and they're going to. It says it in their thing that it's not. It's not loud. It's straight. It's very clear. Uh, so yeah, they like released like an original statement of like their terms of service that said like mining was not acceptable or blah 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 all this stuff, and then people were like, oh well, proof of stake, you know, and made this argument, and then they came out and clarified like anything to do with cryptocurrency. Just to be clear, like you can't actually run validators in certain countries. We found this out with Ryu because you would be a bank, and maybe there's some issues with that all across the world with their hosting servers that validate transactions that way. It's probably my guess. It's a legal issue. Nothing else. Yeah, I mean that makes sense, but it, it would be pretty hard for them to um I don't think you know choice. locate all of the the node operators. Um you know what I mean? It's it's like how they're gonna narrow them down. You can change ports and do all kinds of things to like obfuscate your activity. Well then it says that you're not allowed to do that either. You're not allowed anything encrypted or anything. No, yeah, but yeah, the point though, like they're I think that what they're first going to do is they're scaring people by intimidation and get those people out first and make it like look like they did something. And then they're either going to just have to deal with the people that are left that they can't really find out or like maybe somebody that's putting pressure on them can help them just shut. They're going to figure out where the most traffic's coming from and make assumptions, shut it down. And then, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to shut it down, but you have to provide proof that it's blah, 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 blah. But I think like you're right. It's not an easy thing for them to do. I'm just pointing and say these ones are involved in crypto. They've they've definitely shaken people out through fear. That's for sure. Um, but well, I was going to start validating myself, and now I'm probably going to hold off on it for a while. Yeah. Okay. Um, Can't afford it. So is that because of like you would have to use a different, more expensive provider? Well, I would. I would probably. It's either a three hundred dollar a month provider which is going to be tough to find because, you know, most of them have like, they don't let you rent a terabyte of space. It's usually less. So, but I, I was going to go bare metal uh, if that was the case because, and those are 1200 bucks each. So, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it depends on um, like what network you want to do uh, or how many networks you want to do, um, et cetera. But you don't need to I mean, it's for like Juno, right? I think it's like 430 gig or something. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Juno just restarted recently, so its database is pretty small at the moment. Yeah, like we we put a terabyte for each one of our networks, but I mean, it's not to say you can't get away with less as long as it's yeah, fast. You, you want you want room for it to grow, uh, in most cases. Yeah, I think it's pretty much the norm for most operators to prune their databases pretty regularly. Um, one of the reasons for that is that as your database grows, it actually becomes more difficult to commit blocks. Uh, so people with large databases tend to miss more blocks. Um, and as we know, you know, that's like all the rage hitting all the blocks. So, um, but, you know, aside from that, you're, you're never going to be able to commit the whole blockchain on a fast NVMe anyway. Um, usually archive nodes and stuff like that would be on potentially slower drives. Uh, because they're not really accessed a lot, um, but also the data gets massive. So I can't yeah. see people keeping like, you know, in a couple of years, 12 terabytes of uh, of database on a validator, um, probably does, more does on RPCs. Does blockchains that run like ultra fast, like Sign Network, like have a, like will have potential to have way more data, like backlog because of how many blocks they're producing and stuff like that? Or is that not an issue? Yeah, so... So for every single um, block that gets committed to the blockchain, right, it contains information about the um, validator set and a bunch of uh, consensus information. And then along with like any of the um, actual transactions that are included. So when you add more modules um, from the SDK to the blockchain, like it adds more data per block. So the blocks get bigger and bigger as the, the blockchain develops and as the validator set um, increases, right? And if you're running um, two second block times, then you're still putting all of that data into every single block, but you're putting three times the block time of, uh, three times the amount of blocks as like a, a network that runs at like five or six seconds. So yeah, the, the database grows yeah. and it grows quick. So at the moment, I think, I'm not sure, I think it's two second blocks um, on say network or maybe even less, no, like like maybe sub, closer sub, to sub 500 millisecond. I heard that they were trying to go for. That's crazy. Okay. They're trying for super, super fast, but that, I don't think they're quite there yet. I think it's currently running at like 1.8. They, they, yeah, they think they can do sub 500 millisecond, but I don't know. It, we'll see. It's, it's currently running at nothing because it crashed this morning. Yeah, I think it takes a long time to start up, spin up the notes because of like how many blocks you have to go back through after it crashes. So they're, they're over 4 million at the moment um, blocks and it hasn't been running very long. It's like been running maybe a month or two um, on Atlantic one. So, I mean, that's quite a lot of blocks uh, and my database. And I don't think I started from zero. I think I um, state synced. Uh, shortly after it started um, and my database is probably about 300 gig so that's just after a couple of months wow. yeah and I'm pretty sure that's um, I can check but I'm pretty sure it's got pretty heavy pruning on it as well um, that's so talk amongst <laughs> yourselves and I'll check that real quick uh, so if I do uh, yeah I heard Sunny, uh, somebody asked Sonny the basically if they could speed up their network like you like sign network but and he said probably that's what that's what he said because i heard like jacob and those guys talking about doing it to juno which would be cool it'd be nice to like rip through all your transactions real quick and the dex is on on the main stuff right 
I'm against doing that on Juno for sure. Um, really? Well, just, why is it bad for Juno? Well, not, uh, not well, because everything running on it, everything running on it would have to change their, their stuff. It would, it would suck. The, the, Remember what the happened user, with Atmos? yeah, but the, the user experience box. isn't, the user experience isn't bad enough to warrant, uh, a, a speed up. I don't think like the reason that, um, say network and, uh, Kuji well, run fast like blocks. Order books, is, right? Yeah, well, fuck. We don't yeah. need everybody doing an order book. <laughs> I think, no, I think like, uh, my, my osmosis will in the future. Like, we're going to have uh, games on Juno. We already have like Raccoon uh, and uh, they're going to have like slots and shit soon. Oh, is, yeah. That you need like a faster user. Like six seconds is far too slow to sit there to like roll dice or, you know, play a slot machine as an example, right? It, I'm sure there's far better use cases than just a, a gambling platform but uh six seconds is pretty slow uh my argument would be i agree like there needs to be a like a cost benefit in terms of well, user experience well there needs to, to be there needs to be balance, a compelling right? there needs to be a compelling use case because one or two use cases that don't have a high um economic value is not a good reason to uh you well, know impose that's about it. What's that? The only thing I can see is being beneficial, like to make money with is order books, but that's just a big one. Yeah, but there has to be that economic value there because I mean, if they're late to the game with order books, uh, Jira and say network and stuff. Right. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not high volume at the moment. So if you, if you're making this, so when you speed up the blockchain, it costs people money. Like when you do, oh, really? when you make, when you make these yeah, changes, extra it costs people money. Vowels, right? Yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, and, and we're, we're already be like a cost benefit, right? Like let's not go from six seconds to two seconds because there's no, there's no point for that. Uh, and that the cost for that is substantially larger for the validators from a compute perspective than the benefit would be to the users, right? Because there's maybe one or two D apps that would benefit. But can we go sense. from six seconds to four seconds with a, a minor resourcing cost? And uh, two seconds to four, sorry, six seconds to four seconds would be a substantial UX improvement for those D apps, right? A couple of seconds so the, is a, a fair amount of the, time. The other thing is, is that we run like a um, uh, open, uh, like smart contract platform, right? So these other networks that are doing this don't. Um, they can optimize their contracts. They can do all kinds of things to make sure that they're not bogging down the compute in each block, but we, we run an open platform and that means that anyone can create smart contracts and a lot of them can require a lot of compute in the VM. And yeah. if you've got like heavy Not contracts, like an example was like Fortis, right? I don't think Fortis was very well optimized in uh, a lot of their burn and, and mint contracts. Uh, and that's why it, it absolutely smashed the network on like epoch times and uh, everyone running the contracts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if, um, you can see when there's heavy load in in um, smart contracts that like uh, it like I'd say it's probably an extreme example, but if you look at secret, like they're I, I'm not sure that they're um, like an open contract platform, but they do have smart contracts. Um, and you can see when they're heavily used, like in the NFT um, shade, how uh, is it uh, stash? Just to stash yeah. We, we experienced this last night. We, we did a couple of giveaways and we, we, we transferred them live into the wallets. Uh, and the UI of Stash App 
was like four minutes to transfer the the NFT and verify it. But the the actual blockchain, even that was like a few minutes to actually process the transaction um, from when we hit the button. So uh, I can definitely like see your point there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the operators of the network need time to like process the blocks. It's not just you can't just say blocks are going to be half a second. Let's go like things need to be optimized and and you know you get like a lot of failed contract transactions and stuff um if you just crank it up without any forethought so um yeah i mean i think i think if there is like it, it could be improved but there would have to be a compelling use case for it to like have that extra burden um because you know not everyone's running awesome hardware as well right like our our nodes are pretty robust. We've got like a lot of overhead in ours, but there'll definitely be people who are running the bare minimum. And if you've got a large percentage of the network running on the bare minimum, um, those networks can start to like, uh, those those nodes can start to, when they get under pressure, take a long time to process the blocks as well. Um, so yeah, man, that's why we, we have on Juno, the default um, resourcing is quite high in the documentation. Uh, to have that extra overhead when things get tough. So I, mean, I remember, I'm not sure if you saw this, but I remember Jacob, when this initial discussion came up and I was like, hey, can't we make the blocks a bit faster? He was like, yeah, we can. And then you came back saying, you know, cost benefit, what what should we do? Should we touch it yet, et cetera? I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, he mentioned something along the lines of uh, having like a time-based block and not producing empty blocks. Did you see that comment? I have seen um, that type of comment in the past, yeah. Uh, um, on, I know that there's like probably substantial development effort there, but from a, a blockchain perspective, that sounds like a pretty nice solution where uh, if there's no transactions to commit, uh, from my understanding, there's like a time threshold that we have for like the maximum time for a block. And then if no transactions occur, a block is produced that's empty uh, once it hits that threshold. But if there is transactions to be committed in the chain, then a block is produced at the the threshold that we specify, right? One second, two seconds, or whatever. Is that, is that yeah? So it's the commit wait time at the moment. So basically, like uh, whoever's leading the block, um, whoever the proposer is, will wait uh, for um, transactions to come in and for um, a certain amount of time, and then it'll go to to the um, voting and commit. So um yeah i mean probably someone could create the code to just not um commit blocks if there's no transactions but what knock-on effects that would have i i don't know um yeah so i kind of like the idea of that right like everyone harps on about you know osmo's about to hit 100 million blocks or something like that was it or maybe that was transactions sorry but like everyone's like oh you know four million blocks or five it's like well great but like 98% of those are empty on most chains. Do you, do you know what the scary thing is? Like when you do that, the it might become blatantly obvious about some of these networks that are barely used. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly when you're advancing right. like, like 100 blocks a week. <laughs> yeah, we're spending all this like compute and, and storage uh, money essentially on, on the, all this cloud compute or like bare metal hardware to literally produce empty blocks on like 70% of our chains, uh, 70, 80% of the time. Um, 
optimize it. So then we do have like a threshold where we go, hey, let's produce a block every three minutes or every five minutes. And then if we do have transactions, we commit it every five seconds or two seconds or one second. Uh, and watch how quickly uh, <laughs> watch how quickly the, the blocks produced uh, uh, drop down, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, Rama, it is really difficult to do that in terms of um, functions that that are in the um, blockchain. Like one that comes to mind is um, rewards distribution, which is calculated on mm-hmm. a blocks per year per block basis. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if you're waiting a day for someone to put in a transaction before you commit a block, um, your APR is going to be all over the place depending on when people submit transactions because you, you go from a regular block where that type of like you accumulate the rewards per block to like you would have to move to some sort of time-based thing and then like or if you move right. to it yeah or, or an, yeah you like you know you could do one block a day at around about one time as an epoch or something like that um but well, with the um wouldn't wouldn't your rewards distribution be based off the the maximum threshold that you set if there is no transactions for that block anyway? Uh, Like you would have to change the whole system. Um, The actual distribution mechanism. Yeah, because whilst you've got your maximum threshold, if you're saying, all right, if there's... So say this was the system, right? It's the only way I can think of it, it would work. So you'd have to have a minimum wait time um, before committing transactions. Otherwise, you'd just be trying to hammer a block every time there was a transaction, right? So you might say, all right, let's wait two seconds. And after two seconds, if we've got a transaction, we'll commit it. If we don't have a uh, um, transaction after two seconds, we'll wait up to, say, five minutes. And if we don't have any transactions after five minutes, then we'll commit a block um, just to keep things moving along, right? Um, but say if you did that, then you've got a variable block time of between two seconds and five minutes. There's no way to reliably distribute rewards on that type of variability um, unless people know that coming in. So, I mean, that, that could be like a compelling, I mean, well, thinking about that, it could have been, I guess, a, a thing that would say, well, the better the, the usage of the network, then the more rewards they're going to get because they're committing more transactions, right? But then really all that's going to do is just incite people to spam the network to make their B transactions every two seconds. So if we were to switch to like uh, an epoch or time-based rewards distribution to say every thousand seconds of real time, not blocks, um, wouldn't that essentially be, obviously code-wise, there'd be probably some substantial effort there. Um, wouldn't that achieve the the result that you'd be looking for if you went down that you know time based block model? So in blockchain, anything based on time is problematic. It exist, yeah, yeah, it because blockchain um, doesn't know time; it just knows the last block that was produced, right? Exactly. So I'm not 100 percent sure how the epochs work on, say, Osmosis, um, mm-hmm. because I don't validate there. I haven't really looked into it. Um, but yeah, well, they had troubles when uh, they halted due to the, the nitrogen upgrade, right? Because the epochs, uh, they had to they had to run epochs. Uh, mul- I think it was multiple times from memory. Uh, it was a while ago now um, to give everyone their distribution from the time that they were halted. So I think they ran like back to back epochs um, after oh, really? the chain. <laughs> yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, I think I remember that too. 
to get everyone's distribution out so then it would run properly the next day. Well, I, I can't correct you because I, I don't know um, because I'm not a validator yeah, I there. I was thinking like <laughs> a Gideon, um, oh, right, right. maybe Don or Soy or someone that's a, a bit involved. It was I, I got too much shit to remember <laughs> that one in particular, but I do remember them saying something about having to uh, to uh, run multiple epochs like sooner than like the 24-hour window that they normally run it on. But, well, yeah, def- anyway. definitely anything time-based is is definitely an issue. Um, so, which yeah, is I don't know, man. It's... Like the, the halving, right? Because we, we halted a bunch of times and uh, it was scheduled based on a block number, right? Which we had assumed would be sometime uh, mid-October from memory. So, now it's okay, so, October. yeah. So what happened, right, is that, um, so with that particular issue, uh the the changeover was based on um the actual block height that was specified in blocks per year and that is okay if you never change it so what happened was um the logic was assumed to be different than what it actually was like um there was an intent of that module that was written into the um, documentation for that module and then there was actually how it was coded right so what happened was is that it was hard coded to change on the blocks per year height which means that if you change the blocks per year at some point it changes the distribution per block because when you change that parameter it triggers a recalculation of emissions per block so what we did was that we actually um, sometime after the network started, we recalculated what block would be in about October, right? Which I was pretty accurate with. I, I calculated that. Um, and that changed the distribution per block. Um, it increased the APR um, because we made the amount of blocks in the year less. So then the distribution per block had to increase um, so that we would hit the correct amount of, um, of uh, Juno based on that amount of blocks, right? But but I had assumed, uh, judged based on the documentation, that the phase would change, and this makes sense, the phase would change when we hit the um, target distribution, not actually on a block. So when you change the blocks per year parameter, it actually completely stuffs up the amount of distribution that will be um, circulated uh, at that block, does that make sense? So the, yeah. the amount of, so at that blocks per year height, it won't be the correct amount of distribution. That's why we had to go and recode it. So um, that's been worked on at the moment. Uh, and I think we're gonna deploy that in the test net pretty soon. Um, so now uh, when it calculates the phase change, it actually calculates the phase change based on the current amount of circulating supply. So we can have in the hard-coded um, circulating supply amounts for the phases. And once it hits those, it'll just switch and then that's it. So it doesn't really matter. The, um, it didn't have anything to do really with the um, halts. It was to do with the, the way the logic worked in the Mint module. Yeah. Uh, so when we say, uh, I think you said hard-coded total supply value. So if someone got like double slashed and we lost, 50,000 Juno, would you need to go and like reflect that in all of the documents and stuff where the hard-coded total supply value is? Rama, that is a fucking good point. 
actually. Like, yeah, because like, you, you, never, you never know if someone gets slashed or, or, or double signs and gets hard slashed, right? And you, if we're calculating yeah, epoch or like rewards based off the current total supply, everyone keeps mentioning 185 million, blah, blah, blah. But it, with our actual supply could be far lower than that if people have been slashed and those tokens were burned. So, I mean, burning in the cosmos is not necessarily the same as burning elsewhere. Yeah, like um, I would have to confirm, but I think what happens in a burn um, in the cosmos is like a a non-admin wallet that no one can access, right? Yeah, I think it disappears. I think, yeah, I think it just goes somewhere where it can't be ever retrieved. It goes into the never, never. Um, But I would have to confirm that because I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. But um, I, so I guess the confirmation would be if it does actually af- affect the total supply that's reported in, um, in the uh, rewards module. Distribution. Yeah, and, and I think that's the key part, right? Like it should calculate current supply that could ever be distributed and knowing that the, the burn wallet, wherever that goes, uh, will never be part of circulating supply again. Uh, it should calculate based off the true value, which would be minus that wallet. Yeah, I mean, if they're, well, no. So the total amount ever minted should be that 185 total, million, whatever. Total, total, you've got you not, yeah, not supply. It's actual how the, the original amount that was intended to be minted is. Yeah, it's the, it's the total mint yeah. should be that 185 million. So it should take into account any burnt wallets or anything like that. Like it has to take into account burnt wallets, escrow for IBC, um, you know, anything in smart contracts, it has to take into account all of that, um, which the Mint module does. Um, It just, the one thing that I need to check is whether or not uh, there's actually a real burn, um, which I don't believe there is a mechanism to, but um, after they, for example, like Hawaii at the moment, they say that they've got a burn contract there. Um, I haven't seen the code, so I don't know what the hell it does. Um, But, they're saying that they disappear. So where they disappear to, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, got you. I'm not aware on a, from a um, SDK or Tendermint perspective either, what the actual burn mechanism is. Um, assume it would be similar to like the staking contract, right? Like where it goes, where you know no one can access it. and uh, Similar to that, right? I'm not saying it's a staking contract. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting point, though, um, because if there is like a real burn somehow that actually removes tokens from the supply, then, yeah, we're going to be over minting um, if we're uh, taking the total supply from the, the current, like, um, the nom amount, um, which is where they get it from in the mint module. So, well, it's actually the bank module um, they get it from. Uh, it reports the nom amount so you can, like, query any denom and it'll give you the total amount um, that's in the bank module, which takes care of all of the accounts. So that's a good question. I made a note. Nice. <laughs> hey, see, the, these general chats uh, can have some benefits sometimes. And even if I do say some dumb shit that may not make sense, sometimes we get an outcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah man, well, I you see the guy see the post that Jacob made about slashing validators if they don't participate in governance three consecutive times. What do you think about that? Uh, well, you know, everyone's entitled to their own 
uh, I think it's kind of a good idea. <laughs> I don't so think it's a good idea. How are you going to slash them? Like, are you going to slash their delegators or are you going to slash the validator? Uh, well, that's the thing, though. Like, if, there's no, if there's no self-stake, you can self-stake just one token. And so technically, yeah. you know, Correct. you're slashing mostly validators. And yes, their wallets are in them, but yeah, delegators. Yeah, well, that's right. The slashing yeah, mechanism is there to. So, if you're going to slash something for a reason, right, you have to slash the delegators because that yeah. is where the punishment the needs to go to. Way. Yeah. Mm, and then yeah. you go, you, you, you get punished yeah. for staying with a validator who doesn't or is doing the bad thing. In this instance, it's not participating in governance, right? Uh, in that instance, though, right? Like, imagine if we slashed finance. Uh, 2.5% or 0.05% because they don't participate <laughs> in governance with their 8 million atoms. Uh, that would be and funny. we burn those out of the out of the supply forever. Like they're just going to unbond and move on. They're not going to all of a sudden start particip- participating in governance. So what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to incentivize the behaviors that you want. So, um, you know, if you slash the delegators, you're incentivizing delegators to delegate more responsibly um, to people who participate in governance if that's what the chain values enough to introduce a slash for. So you absolutely have to slash the delegators. Um, but it also incentivizes the validator to be more active in uh, governance so that mm-hmm. they, but you know, all that's really going to lead to is the smart cookies coming out with a script that just. Votes abstain for every single abstain or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So my my thoughts here, and this is I literally just thought of this, so please shut it down if you think it's stupid. On all of our explorers and ways we, we see how to delegate, we show the participation rate from the beginning of the chain. So you know Yeah, uh, it should be since they it, Yeah. It, it should well, be even they should color code that set. It should be uh, let's say for the last uh ten or five, whatever that number is or a percentage uh, based on a number. Like, and this is the difficult part. It'd be per chain because Osmo has a lot of proposals, right? 300 and something. You need to go, say, the last uh, 15 or 20, whatever they set on their chain. Uh, and then you show how many they voted on in the last 20, right? And probably nah. a date that they entered the active set in the explorers. Nah. So then you can nah. go, hey, I, why? Why? I, I think if you're going to change it, then it should be um, how many you've participated in since you've been a validator not how many you've participated in the last five minutes um or the last you know 10 it should be since you've been validating how many you've participated in because then that's you know if people um you well, know all of a sudden start participating being an active validator for right so like in the well it should it should say- change this if if it says like Say um, there's been 50 since Genesis, right? 50 votes. And, you know, someone's 50 of 50, great. They've been there since Genesis. They've hit every vote. But if you started five minutes ago and there's been two um, governance proposals since you started and you hit both of them, it should say two of two. If you've done none of them, it should say zero of two. Got you. If you've been there from the beginning, it should say 50 of 50. So however, yeah. however many governance proposals there have since been you since you have been a registered validator, yeah. Then that's how many they should show, whether you've been in the active set or not. And then thoughts on showing, uh, like the date that, like the the create and validator TX was committed, 
from an explorer perspective, make that more visible. So then we can go, I know that you spun up this validator a month ago, uh, and therefore you may not have participated in a shitload of governance. Um, well, I mean, change is, is that all that important if you're showing how many they've been a validator for? We'll how say, many governance proposals they've been a validator for? Well, I think there's multiple reasons, right? Because we've seen a bunch of new validators come in with self-stake on Osmosis, as an example, and they come straight into like the top 10 because they just bring in 5 million Osmo. Uh, knowing that they're a brand new validator, uh, not knowing who they are, it would be good to go, hey, these guys are new. Uh, I can see that they haven't participated in governance because they just started, but out of nowhere they've appeared. Uh, from a user perspective, you see them in the top five, you just assume that they've been around for a while. So if if in their governance participation you see zero of zero, I would have thought that would be self-evident that they're a reasonably new validator. True. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. How, well, I mean, we, it's... How we code that, I think, is the fun part. But I, I like the idea, though. It shouldn't be. Should, they would have to just change their index or a little bit um, and go f- stop from the... You know, it just changes the 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 bit after the slash to... You know, they'll just have to index as they go along how many, um, like, increment for that validator. Um, you know, when it's counting the the participation, it can just increment a how many they've been around for as well based on when that node was inst- instantiated. So mm-hmm. when they've got their ledger yeah, of nodes, they, they just put in, like, a, yeah, store a... Store, uh, store the create val um, value and then any... Uh, proposals have been submitted from that time would give you hmm. your zero zero one of two or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I don't think it'd be hard to index. It wouldn't be a huge coding operation. They might just have to re-index their um, participation numbers. So, what about a validator that's at the bottom of the active set that's kind of went in and out a few times? Do you think that while well, they're well, the same thing, they still vote, right? I think regardless of whether you're, if you're serious about. Um, validating that network regardless of whether you're an active validator or not if you have um run the the create validator and you ever want to be back in that active set i think you should be participating in governance along the way with your wallet so So but that's just my my that's my opinion yeah but i mean if if it'll still show that they voted like when they come back in it'll be like well this wallet's voted on that you yeah, exactly. Okay. The the operator wallet would still, you know, vote because they would still have tokens self-staked if they're trying to get back into the the active set. And, that would, you know, if they're trying to get people to delegate to them, you don't need to be an active set validator for your vote to count. So you can still vote your, um, your uh, you know, vote power, your VP. You can still vote it whether you're an active validator or not. If you've got something it, it's staked, just, it's just staked tokens. It doesn't care that you're an, you're an active validator producing blocks. You're still a, a validator on the network, and you still have staked vote power that you can participate with. The, the difference between active and inactive is you produce blocks or not. Yeah, so you can't participate in consensus, but I do believe that your vote still counts. So um, I could be wrong, but I think that's how it works. Uh, I could have a quick look. I'm just having a look at validators. Uh, current bonded tokens, 192 million uh, on Osmosis, 193, let's say. And then uh, current uh, total amount of vote 
uh, one, just quick math, 110, 120, yeah, looking around the 193 million. So that seems to add up. Adds up. <laughs> very, very quickly, obviously. And, and when I say that, I'm on Mint Scan and that's showing the active and inactive valves. So for the total yeah. bonded tokens, so that seems to make sense to me. Yeah, okay. Oh, it'd be interesting. I, I might have to have a sculpt through the bloody, oh, geez, I don't know, the uh, docs for Cosmos SDK to figure that out properly. Um, but, yeah. But anyway, so I, I definitely think that it can be represented better in MintScan, and I'd say anyone who's has a uh, uh, explorer or developing an explorer to, you know, improve that side of it. And a wallet. And the wallet? What do you mean? Well, you, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you're wallets. delegating via wallets, you see the same data, right? And it's probably just a version of the similar Explorer and stuff anyway, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, wallets typically are primarily just, if you're talking about the browser extension wallets, they're, they're more or less just like they show you the actual trend. Cosmos Station app, probably just like reference, like a mobile version of the same explorer indexer oh yeah like if you're using the cosmo station it would all the data in there would be from their um, mint scan indexer for sure yeah um but anyway that's probably i don't really have anything else to say on that i guess it's pretty um but it, you know th there's there's different ways to skin the cat as well that's just my that's my opinion and that's the way i would do it but obviously there's there's many ways you can do the same thing Changing it up a little bit, what do you guys think about the uh, new delegation uh, framework from the foundation, the Entertainment Foundation? So I have not read it yet, but I very much intend to read it in great detail um, in the context of putting together the Juno delegation DAO. So I think there could be some very valuable um, information in there. And I think looking at the feedback from that could feed into the Juno version of the same. So I have read it. Uh, I think overall it's a substantial uh, uh, increase on what was there, which I think was essentially non-existent. Um, there are a few things like the, the point system is good. Uh, I think the areas that they're focusing on are good, um, trying to get people uh, vowels more engaged and to provide tooling and dashboards and that sort of stuff for the broader ecosystem uh, and for the hub, which is nice. It's um, good to see that they're uh, trying to encourage um, development outside of the hub, which is, which is nice. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, I'd be interested in knowing a little bit more detail on um, what like the points based system is like the weighting of those um, because uh, from a validator perspective, you probably want to get as many points as you can because that would sound like it would increase your delegation amount up to a cap. I would think um, it sounds like a lot of work, honestly, <laughs> like uh, for what they're, they're asking for, it sounds like you're going to have to you know, be pretty engaged and, uh, and or developing um, to, to maintain it, which, which is good, right? Um, just a, if you're just a single validator, you know, an example is like a Don, uh, he'll already get like one point because he, um, he, uh, 
produces content, right? Like he does his YouTube videos and stuff. Uh, but then if you wanted to get another point uh, to go and um, uh, engage in another topic in there, is Don going to be able to do that? Does he have time um, sort of thing? So uh, I like it overall. Uh, the only part that I was kind of um, – uh, I had some questions on was uh, following the recent proposal 76, uh, capping or having like a non-zero to 10% commission cap uh, was the, the kind of the points that I'm going to bring up on the forum. Um, I think there's probably other ways you could do it to kind of uh, disincentivize having higher commission because you obviously don't want someone run someone running 100% commission if you've got an ICF delegation, right? Because you, you're basically just taking as much as you can um, from your delegators. Uh, but something and then capping at 10% isn't a free market. So we just had a proposal that was pretty overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly a no of putting a 5% commission in. Uh, and there was people saying that it should be a free market. That's fine if that's the stance. Great. Uh, the ICF for, for me should uh, embrace the community and the market's feedback on that, and not try and impose a, a commission cap to receive the delegation, but disincentivize or decrease the delegation amount based on the commission that you set. So if you set twenty percent commission, you get half as much of the delegation because uh, to then give you the same amount of reward, essentially, right? Obviously, a management nightmare, just an idea, but that was just my I thought. think what it's hard to incentivize around a percentage of commission, right? So, like, if you have, I, I think it's like naturally um, self governing that percentage of um, commission. So, if you try to have restricting policies around um, the commission amount by increasing or decreasing the actual delegation that's provided based on your your commission that can be gained right pretty easily, but I think that there should be a cap uh, so that the funds get back like the the actual rewards get back to the ICF so they can do their work right. Um, there should be a cap. I think ten percent is a pretty fair cap, but in terms of the actual delegation amount that the the validator will maintain. I think um, the total delegation from the ICF would not be a large amount um, in most instances of a validator's stake. So you're so going to be self. Down, yeah, but like long well, down, I mean, even it would be substantial because they're going to delegate around seven point eight million. I think more. Yeah. Than so, so while it might be a large amount, right? If you're still going to see a lot of self-governing because if people start jacking up their um, commission rates, then people aren't going to delegate to them. So they're sort of hamstringing themselves from actually developing bigger anyway. Um, so I think there's an incentive to not uh, have a large commission rate. Yeah, I kind of was on the same page as you, Ram. At first, I was like, well, they should just abide by the the prop that we just had and kind of not mess with it but i think a grants program is still a little bit separate and i do think like no mentioned like half of the one of those funds is to come back and fund some of the icf work so if someone jacked up the commission to 80 percent, you know 90 percent, 100 percent, or even to 50 percent, you know that kind of is taking advantage of the goodwill of the delegation and for some people it'll be worth not jacking up 50 percent to still have that lower commission and get the uh you know, those extra atom that they're generating revenue from. 
Um, but yeah, then I think the point system, like it's hard to not be subjective, but how do you also like give someone fair value for what they've done? So that's going to be interesting to see. I think that they're on the right path, but there might be, there's just some clarity that needs to be, to be, uh, put out in the, the form. Especially the stuff with like the, the software development and dashboard development stuff, right? Like they're like, Hey, this stuff, uh, you know, uh, we'll give you, you know, you get a point if you do that. What if you've already developed it all in development of like, you know, partway through development of that? Uh, or you launch it prior to the delegation policy being implemented? Um, this, yeah, I agree that it needs to be a little bit clearer defined on um, what those uh, contributions and how you accrue those points are from a, a dev perspective, right? I think um, if it if it is structured the way it sounds, Rama, I think what you're going to see is an influx um, of useless shitware. So people will just do a half-assed effort to produce something to tick the box. Um, even if users don't use it, it's there, right? So I think you're going to – I think this is incentivizing like the wrong thing, um, if that makes sense. Uh, I think there should be. There's, there's multiple points. That's like one of them. There's, yeah, yeah but, be, but this is. They seem to be pretty good at that. <laughs> this this has right been the, the challenge with determining the um, criteria for, um, for like the Juno delegations, right? Because you want criteria that's going to incentivize good behaviors, but not just incentivize wastage as well. So, you know, if you look at. Um, Say you get uh, there's a certain criteria for um, you know running an RPC, you might get points, right? Well, you're just going to end up with all these RPCs that nobody uses, and it just wastes compute resources. That's literally so, what points is uh, RPC, um, relayers, explorers, RPC, uh, wallets, dashboards, uh, as examples of part of the engineering points that you can accrue. So if you're going to do things like that, right? There should be more thought go into the actual assessment of those criteria. And like, if you're going to incentivize um, relayers, you don't want 150 relayers because it's just not necessary. And then someone has to fund all those wallets. And there's a lot of overhead in running a relayer, right? So it's not just every time someone tries to make a transaction all of the relayers try to make the transaction. Only one of them will get it done, right? But there's still, say if there's 20 relayers running on the same channel, all 20 of those relayers will try to make that transaction and they might all end up in the same block, but whoever was first, whoever's got the lowest latency will actually get the transaction put through and the rest of it is just wasted overhead. So if you've got 150 um, relayers, if someone puts through a transaction, there's going to be like 150 attempts in that block to try and get that transaction through to try and relay it. So you're creating a lot of overhead and, and stuffing blocks full of crap transactions. So if you're going to have that type of incentive, you need to make a maximum amount of, you need to have it points based in that there's a maximum amount of points awardable overall, and you have to have a maximum amount allocated to each category. And as that category fills up, the awarded amount becomes less because you've got the same amount of um, token uh, of uh, award points being distributed to more operators. So as as that category gets filled up, it dilutes the the potency of actually providing that thing. 
So if you've already got, for example, 10 relays, you know, it just reduces everybody's um, points if you add another relay or another 10 relays, right? If you've already got 50 um, RPCs and you add another 50, then you've just halved everybody's available points for that particular thing. So you can incentivize those behaviors, but also um, keep a cap on it by, by implementing those types of distribution in categories. But I doubt they've thought about it that much. Yeah, and you, you raise a good point, right? Um, so uh, I was just looking, I was just reading it now. Um, the, like, the, there's some good ideas in there. I think you raised some very valid points. Uh, it would be good if you could <laughs> put some of that on the forum, to be honest, because uh, I, I think that's really good feedback that they could take on board to try and improve it. Because I can see that, right? Like if, if you know, engineering, this, this is one of the examples. It's the kind of the first one. So it stands out. It's like explorers and relayers and RPC providers is like the three that like easily the entire Val set on the hub could do, right? You can, and the explorers one, you can very easily just discredit and cut out. Like if they're just copying code and renaming it, um, pretty easy one. Well, I mean, like if, relayers and RPC if, providers, anyone can spin that up, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you just fork ping.pub or, or restate, you've got an explorer, right? Correct. And it's like you actually need to show effort and development work that went into it and not just forking someone else's code. Uh, the other part, just very quickly, on the relayers with uh, IBCV4, the fee for relays is going to be built in. Um, so that's like an interesting topic anyway for maybe another time, maybe a Game of Nodes episode, uh, because uh, around the, the lowest latency um, relaying it, uh, that's going to be a pretty interesting one with IBCV4. Because, um, you know, the more that you relay, the more fees you get, right? So you, everyone's going to be looking and trying and chasing like the lowest latency to, to actually uh, relay the, the TX, yeah? Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, I could be wrong. I haven't relayed in a, in a while, right? Um, but the way, the way, that's the way it worked when I was running relays. But um, it could have changed. There's been a lot of versions of IBC since then. But um, yeah, the way you get the lowest latency is by running the two sides of the um, channel on the same machine is because you want latency between networks is, is um, so you want to be able to commit that transaction the fastest. Yep. So you have, you have a well-connected RPCs on both ends and then yep. run your relayer on that all on, on the run. same machine. Yeah. Yeah. So say if you've got, um, like the an ultimate setup would be like a pretty beefy machine. Um, you have a separate network, like a separate RPC on each, um, like on two separate um, NVMEs, and then run your your relay software um, on another, or you'll have your root on like another um, NVME. Would be like a pretty pretty fast setup, and as long as you have how well peered on both sides with the RPCs. Like you should have a pretty good latency and connection to the network. So, oh, and you, or you would also want to have that located around the center of mass of that network as well. So probably in Germany somewhere. Yep. Um, yeah. Moving on from like the technical aspect, because I think those parts of the the main ecosystem side, uh, engineering for the hub in particular, they were looking for wallets, again, relayers, uh, dashboards, explorers, uh, Gaia repo contributors, which is I think is a good one. Um, actively trying to get people to participate in that. 
again, I think that's a one that we need to be very careful of because there's uh, there's external incentives already uh, for a number of validators that are developer teams. Um, so they inherently contribute code to Gaia. So I think they should be excluded and it should be uh, external contributions outside of contracts, obviously. And I think they may have a, a dot point about that somewhere in there. I've got to do another review. Yeah. But like, they, you know, they it, mentioned uh, like anything that's been funded by grant work previously is ineligible for yep. consideration. Yeah, to be considered. But I yep. think that needs to be clarified even more. Does that mean that any grant you've received from any chain or from any foundation or anything excluded your work? You know, Correct. Like, right. So, what, an example what, there is like, um, say, say Frederico, who's like the Evmos uh, lead, uh, say he spins up a hub validator, right? Uh, Evmos was funded by the hub, uh, he should be inherently excluded from ever getting uh, a point for that particular um, delegation policy, right? I'm not saying you know, this is just a hypothetical example um, because, uh, you know, his, his contributions from an FMOS perspective uh, would all come back to the fact that FMOS was funded from the hub. So, What about but, somebody who received funding from like Dosmos's grants program? You know, like I know that they've dished out some money. And then that led to like an upstream Gaia um, contribution. Or just even like more tools or something that they want to claim, you know, like, so does that disqualify them? You know, like, well, that one's specific to the the, the Gaia repo, right? So uh, my thoughts here are that if, if some external funding from, say, Juno or Osmosis led to an upstream Gaia PR, that should be excluded. Is that your point? No, I think in general, the delegation policy points out that anything that you've received grant funding for cannot go into this application. I don't think it's specific just to the guy. It's specific to any. Yeah, so they need to, yeah, clarify that point on contributing to the hub. So let's say like Stanford University gave you a grant to do something. Does that disqualify you from from this? How do you find out what it's been funded by a grant? You know, like how is that enforced fairly? You know, there's just like, clarity needs to come from it. Yeah, it's a tough one, right? Like, especially when you're trying to be transparent and build this document and then you've got all these uh, these additions. So I think it's a good start. Um, moving on to, like, public goods, seeing where they're, like, wanting people to contribute. These are some of the areas that I'm really excited about and they've done a great job with, like, payment app integrations for interchange wallets and IBC tokens, education for um, onboarding cosmonauts, good, uh, offering grants, um, and support for the growth of valuable ecosystem contributors. Um, that's an interesting one. Like, what validators can really afford to pay for grants for people to contribute and support growth? That's like a, it seems like a top end of town kind of dot point. It's very focused at, I think, Stakefish because they well, have like Stakefish, uh, like as an example, like Cephalopod is the validator of the ICF. Um, you know, the the larger like p2p validator is an example like the very large developer um validators who have those sort of funds like you know don kryptonium is not going to go and offer five grand for someone to do something to get yeah. a delegation i think it's still like recognizing the contribution they're making and i don't think it's the cool thing is it's not being weighed more than you know mm. a relayer this, you know in, in a way it is but maybe that's going to be like the downfall is like everything's weighted equally or maybe that's going to be taking out subjectivity which you know if, if it's not if it, if it happens like a closed door process and there's it's not very transparent there's going to be a lot of people that are still upset at you 
you know, even though we're getting the total rework. Um, yeah, so you have to be transparent from here mm-hmm. out, right? You have to go, this validator got X, uh, X delegation because of XYZ contribution, and they met these points. The points are weighted in this way. Yeah, because it says you have, yeah. like, a review committee that review the applications over, like, a month period or something. So, yep. like, those people are going to be making the decisions on, you know, what happens. So it's just very important. How are they going to do this for, like, old-school validator sets and people who Everyone. contributed, like, from the beginning, like, audit one people? Well, it's, it'll it starts, you have to reapply from when the policy comes in. Yeah, And, like, so. previous contributions don't matter. Well, I think it yeah, matter, but it's like if you had a delegation from before, that's still taken away and you still have to reapply. But then you have to continue doing what you're doing. You can't just say, hey, I made this thing two years ago and it's been two years and I still have a delegation and I'm just banking on that. You have to continue to like add value. They're not going to like immediately continue to like expect you probably to be making new products like every month, but you have to be continuously building and adding value. It's yeah. I mean, it's super subjective too uh, in a lot of those things, unless it is just a pass fail type, um, you know, uh, assessment. But but as far as you say, like um, you know, backdating, uh, you know, contribution. Well, it should be in the period. So no, no, no. It should be like in a period. I think like if they're going to. Um, you know, assess the delegations every quarter, then they should say, what was your contribution in this quarter? What have you been providing during this quarter? And base the, like, recalculated off that. But if they're going to do anything, they have to, in my opinion, have, like, a transparent and robust criteria and calculation method. Um, it opens the door to people gaming them, but it also means um, that you can get what you want out of the system. So they should also have in their um, policies that they can reassess, um, you know, the criteria quarterly, even if they want um, to make sure that they're getting the most out of their their system. Like, for example, if you've already got five explorers, you don't want another one, so you might remove that as part of the categories. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was part one of the two-part Cosmos Space, hosted by Tricky. Recorded on Friday, September 2nd, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way Resuscitating major players in the waiting room Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom Slayed a few in my early years, often hit the shroom Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news To let us know what we should believe as the latest truth Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio Trying to keep it well lit like filming a movie role Sorting through support from your endorsements Of course we're tripping balls, handing reports in the latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of pack of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is gizzle Kick it for a minute, then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two 
big thinking energy always gets the best of me when I kick it in the lab messing with new recipes gotta mix and match flip the latch letting rhythm scratch no shit spitting facts with my vision smash big trip aristocrat stitching out a list of trash missing wisdom this fish is too big to catch better let the missus know where you hit the stash watch your next step bro before you hit the traps walking on eggshells tripping over landmines and I'm about done dealing with these damn lies man I'm looking at this planet like a franchise chastising to digging holes in the back nine the latest proof ain't a way to move chase a view just a bunch of pecker heads living in a chicken coop picking at the dinner finger licking like the plate is good so kick it for a minute then show me what that thing could do two plus two show me what that thing could do two plus two show me what that thing could do two plus two show me what that thing could do two plus two